You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So these are the psokim of Rav Zacharia Geli Zatzal, um, Paisik in Washington Heights for many years, with the Kaladas Yeshurin. Um, let's say you have a person who is in your community who is deaf. And because of the, the cochlear implants, um, he is able to get very far than had ever been expected in terms of speaking. But he doesn't really speak clearly. Um, what's the halacha? Um, now, the cochlear implant means he might be able to hear a little bit, I think. He's able to pick up sounds, but the way I understand it is they still rely a lot on um, reading lips and other things like that. Um, so the question is, when you have somebody who's not speaking clearly, do you treat them like a cherish in terms of can he be mitzvah? Can he make the? Can he be number ten in the minion? Uh, can you use him to bake matzahs? So Rav Geli said that the Diane Weiss, who was Rav Neidah said he has a din of a cherish, even though he's able to articulate some speech. Rav Shlomo Orabach, however, says that if he's able to speak and people understand him when he speaks, then he has a din of a pikeach. But, if he definitely is talking, velo hakol mevinim ez dvarov, madino, then Roshom Zalman is not clear. So therefore, Rav Geli says, we have, um, Rav Dayan Weiss says, he's definitely a chayrish. Roshom Zalman is mesupik. So therefore, you cannot say that he's number 10. Because there's a good side to say he's still potter and mitzvahs. However, in order not to embarrass the person, then uh, you could give him an aliyah, but he shouldn't be from the seven kruyim. Their, their um, hearing before they were, before they were verbal, they're it takes them longer to learn the sounds. Uh-huh. So therefore, so this is a definitely a, a very a sensitive issue. Again, I mentioned the cochlear implants, uh, and I, am, I obviously don't know exactly the, the, the quality of what that person is able to hear. Um, if the cochlear implant allows that person to really hear everything, uh, see, he, this is what, I believe is going on. If a person is just guessing as to what's happening around them, then we say that they don't have enough clarity to be considered a hundred percent part of the community to be part of the minion. Um, so uh, he doesn't want to use the word shote Rav Geli, but technically it's someone who whose sense of the world is skewered to the point that you can't be mitzvah of him in, in, in mitzvahs, and, and especially mitzvahs of the tzibur. 
So this, I think, is a, uh, a very sensitive topic. I would add to what Ravgeli, many times, everyone in that shul knows what he means. But a, a stranger wouldn't know. So therefore, I am not sure um, what Rafa Zalman means. He says, Lo akol I would have to look up the psak of Rafa Zalman in this case. Because many times there's a person who you know what he means because you're used to that person's um, speech and you've, you've picked it up. You've learned the tell. You've learned about what they're trying to say. You read their body language and you hear enough of the words that you can figure out what they, what they mean. It's like, you know, my, my, my three-year-old grandson, not yet three. I know what he's trying to say because I know the situation. If everybody in the shul recognizes him and they know what he's saying, and it's just some stranger who doesn't know, I, again, it, 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 to me, the psak is a little bit difficult because of that, right? So, again, I, I would say... It's, it's a very interesting subject because my, my grandson, my oldest grandson, has um, two cochlear implants. Wouldn't be able to hear without it. And he lost his his hearing pre-verbally, but when he was about one, they think, between one and 18 months old. So I understand mostly what he says. Sometimes I'll have to ask his mom. <laughs> because he'll say, How old well, is he now, kind of? And he's, it's kind of hard. He's 11. I mean, he's he's with it. He's... Like, you know, he's functioning normally. Right. He's, so, you know, and people can understand him when they know him. But sometimes if you don't know him, it will sound a little different. Yeah. So it's, I, I think one really has to investigate this, uh, right. whether this is true or not. Anyway, this is just it's something you could look at. You could look at the Marimokam and, and, and thank you, Sheila. It's very important. Here's an interesting question that came up probably a lot in neighborhoods that were changing. You're selling your house, but you know the people that are buying it are going to turn it into a church. Can you do it? Um, so Rav Moshe says many shuls were in that situation. Many shuls in Bensonhurst and in, in Renson Village and in, in the Bronx, they knew that the building can only be used or Memphis, the biggest uh, building. In Manhattan that, also, many, many shuls in Manhattan. Have become churches, right? Yeah. So Rav Moshe says that the truth is that all the Batek Nisiot in, 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 in uh, America are, are built on a Tanai anyway. They don't have the same Etz and Kedushas Beisach Knesses like the Beisach Batek Nisiot in Eretz Yisrael. However, Rav Moshe says it's a Dover Mo'us to sell to a church. How, but Rav Geli wanted to say that an individual, you wouldn't have to worry about that at all. You wouldn't have to worry about it, whatever that person is planning on doing it. So if you're going to sell your house, you you have to leave Elizabeth, whatever city you live in. And the place that you have, you know it's going to be rezoned, and they're going to do Avleda Zara. Well, they're going to be doing uh, who knows what. You don't have to be worried about that. Well, Arab, I think it's talking about your personal house, not talking about selling a That's, shul. That's right. That's what I mean. Your personal house. So even I know, though but the, you you we mentioned before that the many uh, right right Rav Moshe said to sell a shul is a davar mos. 
So that's what Rav Geli is saying, Moshe, that if your house, even though you know they're going to have like a, uh, they're turning into a meeting place where they're going to, you know, have a meeting for Jesus, or they're going to maybe in your basement run a church type service, you don't have to worry about that. That's not your cheshbon. You're allowed to do that. Um, let's see. Um, Another interesting question from Rav Geli. <laughs> Let's say the chuppah, um, uh, 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 num- uh, for some reason the family decided to rent out the Reform Temple for their wedding. Um, and, and many of these big buildings, oh, we need to have the space. And the chuppah is going to be outside anyway. It's going to be bachutz, right? Ayudei rav kosher mi bachutz. And the suda is going to be in the, the social hall of the temple. And the, 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 the caterer is a, is a shkocha that's reliable. What would you paskin in that case? So, Rav Geli said, even though they're having it out, if they're having it outside of the reform shul, they're having it in the uh, courtyard, the beautiful rose garden of the reform shul, but it's in a reform, sh- it's, it's in the grounds of a reform shul, Rav Geli felt that you should not go to the uh, chuppah. Because the chuppah is the act of the bracha, the kedushin, even though you have a rav who's orthodox, doesn't make a difference. It's happening, even though it's not happening in their sanctuary. But an interesting Kiddush, he says, if you want to, don't want to insult your relatives, you can actually go into the Reform Shul's social hall and go for the um, reception that you're allowed to do. That's not considered awesome. So um, that's, I, I thought that was an interesting psak. Um, Interesting question in Hilchos Tvila. Um, Sheila, I know you do a mikvah, so you're a mikvah lady. Um, let's say a woman um, goes into the mikvah and she didn't take out her contact lenses. Now, normally, the mikvah ladies make sure that they take out their contact lenses and other false eyelashes and other stuff like that. But she didn't take out her contact lenses. So Rav Meisha says that Bidyeved, she doesn't have to go back to the mikvah. Rab Vosner, however, says that if she goes home and she already spends the night and then she realizes, oh, I have my contact lenses on, we don't make her go back to the mikvah. However, Rav Vosner holds that if she realizes she goes home, she sees her husband, whatever it is, oh, I had my contact lenses on, She's mechuyiv to go back to the mikvah. And again, I don't know enough about these halachos right now to tell you what the sherish of the machlekas is, but Rav Moshe holds that once it happens, you don't have to call back. Rav Ozner feels that she is mechuyiv to come back. So, um, what do you do? Machlekas ha'paiskim. So, especially, uh, it's not that easy to come back. Rav Geli felt that we can rely on Rav Moshe if it's a big tircha, 
um, if it's a big tircha to come back, then you can be mako and not make the person come back. One but, second, you want to repeat that, please? So Sheila, who's a mikvah lady, is telling us that the, the Hanoga of, of the Skokie mikvah, where you are, uh, right. is that... Well, it is a chatzitza for contacts. It is a chatzitza, but if they haven't, if they didn't um, realize it till the morning, then they wouldn't have to come back, presumably, once they're... But if they if they catch it before they're with their husband, they... So that's so that's really they paskin like Rabosner. Yeah. They paskin like Rabosner. But you see over here a heter, Sheila, that if it's a Tircha Gedola, he feels that uh you can be but, Mako. You don't have to right, come back. Well, maybe the heter comes from because it's something she wants in and it's something she, it's not noticeable. Right. So it doesn't have a shame chatzitza. Yeah. Yeah. It might in other words, be she days. was saying the fact that she didn't take them out is sort of a proof that it's not something she's mocked on. Anyway, an interesting psak again, a hetter from Rav Geli. Here's another interesting psak that a woman who didn't have children for 10 years and then um, they took an egg from uh, a, a, a woman who could have children and they did in vitro fertilization Um and then once the egg was fertilized, they then um, placed the egg back into the original woman. And it was in her womb that the child was formed. Is it, are they both Jews? Oh, the woman who is uh, who has the womb is a Jew. But the woman who gave the egg is a non-Jew. Very interesting. Probably Suffolk Garris. Oh, very good, Sheila. So, and and twins were born. So now there's a, they have to mow the child, right? But mm-hmm. okay, so we're going to tr- we're going to raise this child as a Jew. So Rav Geli said it's a Shiloh. Who's the mother? Do you go after the who who provided the uh, the egg? Who provided the ovum? And the ovum was a guy. Or do you say that the ovum is not what determines who the baby is? What determines the baby is the womb, right? The womb and all the energies and and, and nutrition and everything that caused that baby to grow, that's the mother. So it was the mother's energies, the mother's body. And therefore the baby was was the the, the Jew, it's a Jewish baby completely. Now, it's a big machlekas apaiskim. (laughs) <laughs> as, as you can expect in in vitro fertilization where it's not the mother's egg obviously you have the same uh, you have the question in the reverse right <laughs> where uh, the woman um, uh, women who can't bring the child to term and they take the fertilized egg and they give it to a surrogate mother Right. It's, it's really the, the similar question. But, but then would a surrogate mother more be similar to if you hire a nursemaid and they have to eat a or nursemaid, she has to eat kosher during the time she, because it's, well, well, the question it's more is, like a host rather than the. Well, whatever you're going to poskin on one will be the opposite in the other. In other right. words, if you're going to poskin by in vitro that the mother is. Um, the non-Jew, yeah. then in the case of 
the um, in the case of the surrogate, the mother is going to be the Jew, right? So, right. So really, so it's a big machlekas apayskim. So what do you do when this happens? So you know, you're going to have a bris. So Reb Geli said that the moil should be machaven for two things. That he's, it's a milo l'shem geiris. And you have to set three people to be the bezdin. In other words, you're always going to have a bunch of people anyway there. But you're, the moil is going to have to think, I don't know if he needs to tell, I would assume he should probably tell the people around that they had a din of a bezdin, although I'm not sure if he has to say anything. But the moil should be machaven l'shem, l'shem geiris. Okay, but what bracha do you make? Do you make a bracha la geirus? Right? You say but do you make a bracha on geirus or not? So, l'chaira, he says you should only make one bracha, the bracha on mila. Because it's a suffix, and a suffix bracha to be meiko. But you should have kavana, it should be geirus if it's necessary. Um, That was um, now. Here's an interesting question. Um, I hope you are enjoying. I, I, these are nice, <laughs> nice psalkim that you know came out of real life uh, from Rev, from Rev Kelly. Here's an interesting case. Um, two parties uh, could not agree on a bezdin. Now, why couldn't they agree on a bezdin? Well. Part of it is, I don't hold of this Bezdin. Sometimes there's no Bezdin in their community, and each one chose a Rav, and they couldn't find a third Rav. So therefore, they want to go to arbitration. Now, an arbitrator, they hire a non-Jew to be an arbitrator. It's a professional person. Now, the arbitrator is going to decide on what he thinks is, is proper and what is ethical. Now, we know there's an issue of going to a non-Jewish court. It's a it's your over of uh, mitzvah saseh. Eil mishpatam asher tosim lifneim. Lifneim below lifneim archaoshalehem. You can't go to the non-Jewish court. Is that like going to a non-Jewish court? So, um, there's a machlekes. The Archashulchan brings a machlekes between the Shach and the Nesivas. If it's impossible to get a Jewish court going for whatever reason, even in that case, is it considered that it's also to go to um, uh, a non-Jew who's going to act as the judge? So So you should be machmer not to do it. You might be over and say. So Rav Geli wanted to say a chiddush. He said the machlekas over there is where the person that they went to is the judge, Right? And even though he's, he's a one party, he's going to be the judge. An arbitrator is not a show fate. In other words, the arbitrator is not judging based on the law of the non-Jews. An arbitrator has a right to do things which aren't necessarily, it could be based on precedent, but it's not, oh, you've gone to the, you've gone to the laws of, uh, of the Christians, the laws of the Muslims. 
the laws of the secular United States. An arbitrator can basically, each party signs an arbitration agreement, which means it's not necessarily a din. Going to even a one-person judge, right? Now, I'm thinking, you know, like like they have the TV judges, right? Um, you know, I'm not sure if that's arbitration or, or not, Um but, you know, they, they aren't the state of California. They're, they're on TV, right? And they're just saying, hey, you, you got to decide what I want. Um, that's, that's an arbitrator. Arbitration, Rav Gelly feels, especially when you can't form a Bezdin, doesn't have a din of halicha l'archos. And this really opens up. Now, there are Jewish arbitrators you can go to as well. Um, Moshe, you know that our... Our, 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 our very dear friend, Rabbi Dombrov, that's what one of the jobs he did was he, yes, yes. Was, was, he was an arbitrator. Uh, yes. I, think he, I think he probably had a bunch of non-Jewish clients as well. I'm sure he did. Yeah, he should be well. So you could find Jewish arbitrators, but Rav Geli is, is, is being machadish that arbitration does not really have a din of going to their mishpat because he's basically, as you see, He's going to be his chavistas. He's going to sort of like shoot from the hip and say what he thinks should happen here, as opposed to imposing the rule. It's a chiddush from Rav Geli. Here's a shaila that uh, I feel some connection to. Um, we know that in, in New York, especially, um, there are apartments that are be'etzim rent-controlled apartments. I don't know how it works. Maybe there's people here who understand it better than me. But there are apartments that 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 already come with a Section Eight uh, attachment to it. There are certain apartments that 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 they have, uh, you know, the super high prices that are charged throughout Manhattan. Um, maybe now with COVID, things are different. But there are certain apartments that have Section Eight connected to it, and because of Section Eight, the apartment is already been grandfathered in that the rent control in that apartment is going to be cheaper. So there are, um, if a community somehow like Breuer's happens to own certain apartment buildings and those buildings have section eight connected to them. And we know there's a big list there's a big, long list of people waiting to get those apartments. They'll sometimes live in other apartments, and then they put themselves on a waiting list in order to be able to rent to get the Section 8 apartment. So here was the Shiloh. There was a certain Talmud Chacham. Well, that's the question, if it's Talmud Chacham. There's a certain young man, a Kailu guy, who's learning all day, and he learns actually in the Kolel of that community, maybe the Breuer's Kolel. And he would like to be able, and it would it would help him a lot since he's not making too much money, to get one of those apartments. Now, does he have a right to be put at the head of the line? Because the community that sort of owns the buildings maybe has a chiyuv, even though generally you want to sign up for it, but when a Talmud Chacham comes, there's an idea of, 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 of giving the ability to get this advantage. So, Rav Geli says, if you look in Shulchan Arach Yeridea, it says 
that even if it means that a Talmud Chacham gets a financial benefit that other people in the community don't get, a Talmud Chacham would get a Din Kadima to get that before someone else. Now, if you look at Shulchan Aruch, though, it says, Misha Tairasai Umanasai. And I've talked about this in this class. What does that mean? A person whose taira is his umnus. What does that mean? His taira is his umnus. That it's like he's he's an expert at it. That's what he does. It's not just something he he pitters he around with. So, um, there are hashulchan writes, and this was already a hundred years ago or more, that in the present generation, a person who goes out to work and then goes to learn, you can't call that person even if we talked about Sviki Reisman the other day, maybe he's different, but if the person goes out to work, you can't say so what would that mean? Rav Geli says, if you have a person who does learn all day, and whether you agree with this or not, <laughs> how does he how does he earn a living? Gets a little bit from the koil, and his wife teaches. His wife babysits. His wife does other stuff to go out to make money. His wife is a is is, is a lawyer, a doctor. He gets so the other people decide it's worth this person should learn. So. Even though he's not like the previous generations, Rav Geli says, Rav Geli sort of says that's the Rasum Nasi for our generation. That's all he does. Now, the problem is, is the Ramah says when he talks about a person getting that benefit, that he can't just be a guy who wants to learn. He has to look at the language of the Ramah. He is comfortable discussing most places in Shas. He knows about them. He isn't a beginner. Hmm. That was 500 years ago. Is that the way most people who are in Kayul today, do they know all over Shas? Guy's only 20-something years old. He hasn't maybe finished Shas. He can actually be so comfortable. So the Piskei Tshuva there, Brings them achleikas apayskim. Do we have to meet a chachamim? Um, and they punted. They said the people of the community have to decide. The people of the community, the tovayer, have to decide. Look, we don't have people on this madrega like they were in the time of the Gemara, or maybe even the way they were five hundred years ago. But if the people who run the community to decide this is what counts for us as talmid chachamim then they would get the financial benefits, including being pushed to the front of the line of getting the apartment with the Section 8. However, you can't just, Rav Geli understood, you can't just push it. You have to have, you have to miyayitz with the B'nai Akehila, uh and explain to them to give the Kailu guys, and obviously you need to have serious Kailu guys, um, not just guys who you know, you have to vet your Kailu guys beforehand, that they should have a Din Kadima. Um, he quotes the Chach Masadam, who of course saw the Vilna Gon and lived in a, a period uh, over 200 years ago when Torah was at its, one of its greatest heights in Lithuania. 
And the Chai Odom writes, the Chachmas Odom says, the Chokmas Adam says, okay, you're right. The ones you remember when you were a kid were bigger than The ones that live in Muncie are bigger than the ones here in Elizabeth. But you can't use those glasses, the Chokmas Adam says. And therefore, to get him out of paying the community tax, even though that means others are going to have to pay those taxes, that's what we're talking about. The, ta- the, 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 the halacha was talking about where there's a tax on the 500 people that live in this community. We, we potter the Talmud Chacham, which means more people have to pay. So people are going to take a hit financially to support him. The Chachmas Adam says... We're not, we're not medactic. Oh, is he as good as somebody else that you know from where you come from? Is he muxuk to a Talmud Chacham? Does he act like a Talmud Chacham? Is he muxuk to learn and understand things? That's enough. Um, a person who, uh, well, getting to the end here, a person who uh, never had children. And he was quite wealthy. Now, we know, unless you're a ger who never got married, you have a yorish. You don't have a son, but you might have an uncle, you might have a brother somewhere, a nephew. The person wants to give all his money to Tzedakah. So even though there's, there is a Yorish there, he's not going to get anything. Can you do that? So, Rav Geli said, if you look in the Poskim, the Pistei Tshuva, the Chsam Sefer, you see that if you can give your money to Tzedakah, but there should be a little bit of Yerusha. In other words, there's a, what's the problem here? The problem is you're not allowed to, to stop the din of Yerusha. Yerusha is a din in the Torah. Yerusha happens. You don't have a right to, to try to subvert the Allah of Yerusha. If you do that, or if you, or, and that's one of the reasons why a secular will is problematic. Because if somebody, Allah, is supposed to be the Yoresh, and it goes to someone else, like your wife and not your child, that might be an issue of if it happens only post-mortem. Let's say it's a step a stepmother. All of those things are very problematic. So in this case as well, if he, since there is technically someone who could be Yoresh, even though it's not a child, as there needs to be some money given to the person who is the official Yoresh. Most of the money could go according to the will to Tzedakah. But it, it's better if the Kenyan worked before he died. In other words, there should be a Maisa Kenyan that the money are... It's, in other words, Yerusha means the money passes at death. Here, the money only has to pass before death. 
Otherwise, it seems to be a problem of subverting a Yerusha. But you can do it uh, just to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Yeah, don't they usually do it as a um, gift uh, payable right. a, like right. a minute before death? Or That's something exactly like that. what he says it should be done. It has to be, it has to be done that way. Um, okay, you can give your daughters and stuff if you want. Right, to that, so that gets into Chatzis uh, Zohar, how that works. Yeah. Um, um, a question, Nebuch, will, uh, some difficult questions having to do with Sholem Bayes and, and Pruravu. Um, how about if a woman um, wants to I assume undergo hysterectomy um, to make it impossible for her to, to conceive. Um, now, obviously, a hysterectomy is is allowed if the uh, the doctors are telling you that there is a danger uh, of cancer or when something did... like that. Oh wow! But um, let's say a woman who is still fertile um, decides that she. You know, she doesn't want to take the risk of becoming pregnant. Now, um, the Vilna Gones feels that the same way he says you're not allowed to do cirrus, you're not allowed to, a man cannot emasculate himself, a woman can't destroy her internal organs or the means of not allowing her to have children. The Vilna Gon, the whole Cirrus, is a lav, menatera, for men or women. So it's an Easter Daraisa we're talking about. It's fascinating because usually it's not an obvious. Right? It's, it's not, it, it doesn't it's not say, obvious. it doesn't say Krus Shifcha or Petsuadaka, yeah. right? But it does say that it should not be, it says Bartsaseim Lesasu. So the Vilna Gon says it includes men and women. And therefore, according to the Vilna Gon, uh, it's an Easter Daraisa. Rav Geli says that he spoke about this with the great Pesach, Rav Vosner, and you, you, you heard him, he was quoted before. And Rav Vosner said that we are so mech, even though it's the Vilna Gon, we're so mech on most of the shittas that hold that uh, Cyrus for a woman is only a Darabonan. So once it's a Darabonon and the woman is telling you that she's in pain, that she's having pain and, and you surim that are difficult for her. So as Rav Geli says, if it's only an Yisur Darabonon and it's Bumokam Tsar, you can be Matir. Um, however, Rav Geli says that the doctor who performs the hysterectomy, if possible, should be a non-Jew because even though there's a machlekas in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, whether Cyrus is one of the mitzvahs that a goy is muzeron, right? There's a question about, even though we know there are Zion mitzvahs b'nei Noach, one of the uh, the Averos that is mentioned in, in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, and Perak Dalmisas, I believe, is also the Cyrus of, uh, of whether goy is, is mitzvah on Cyrus. But not everybody holds that way. So Rav Geli says, so we're going to have two kulas. First of all, we're going to rely on the shittas that hold it's only a darabonon. And then we're going to use a goy because there are shittas that hold by a goy for a goy to do an act 
of of of, of Cirrus would not be an Easter. Again, this question comes up um, when it, when we deal with um, uh, pets and things like that, because the Easter of Cirrus is for humans and animals, and this is many times what they do. Uh, they rely on the shita if they want to spay or neuter an animal. Um, let's say you have a woman who is um, not getting along with her husband. And she really would like to divorce him. Um, now, why do they want to get a divorce? I'm not exactly sure. But they're known to have a lot of Sholem bias. And she told the Rav, she told Rav Geli that she cannot submit to sex with her husband only if she can take birth control or something else. And the husband says, no, look, I'm not giving you a divorce right now. Um, and I want us to have it normally and maybe we'll have a baby. So the women said, the woman said, you know what? I'm not going to the mikvah. Okay. Now, obviously this couple is on its way for a divorce. What Rav Geli was declaring was, can they even live together? She's a nida. And normally the reason why there's no history yichud on Anita is because you know that she's going to be mutter. But here you have Anita who is saying specifically, I want out and I'm not going to the mikvah. Tough luck. So, Lachora, there might be a problem keeping this couple together. Sir Vigeli found uh, a, um, a psak from the Godel Ador of the end of the 19th century Place one of the place Gemador, uh, the Brajana Rov, the, uh, the Marsham. This is the grandfather of the famous Rav Shalom Shadron, his grandfather, who says in the following case, you have a woman who's uh, not a firm woman. She doesn't want to go to the mikvah. She doesn't want to. She doesn't believe in it anymore. So, if you have such a woman who who's is a free-minded woman, the husband's still from. So uh, we've had a similar shot, you remember, from Rav Sternbach. Rav, uh, the Prashana Rav said the husband can't, can't it's also Muliachr with her. So even though we're not talking about a Marshas here, she's not, she's not someone who's against it. She just says that she refuses to go to the mikvah unless, and the husband refuses to let her take birth control. Um, I'm not sure how we can stop that. So he says you have to tell that couple that the couple really needs to separate. Uh, at least they're going to get a get, but even before the get, they really cannot be in the same house um, to um, to have uh, to have an iser. It'll be an iser yichud. Um, one other thing, just to end on a positive note, <laughs> um, let's say a, a woman has had premarital sex and the chassan knows that. Um, can you write the word besulta niksuva? So Rav Moshe says that you can write besulta. Um, and one of the reasons why we can is because even though she says it and it's known she was living with this guy, whoever it was, 
you you don't have real Adim. So, um, therefore, um, that's one of the reasons why we're makel to write even on a star. Uh, obviously, Chacham Avadius has another svara, not to be Mavayish, the girl, and that the uh, the um, the Masada Kedushin, whoever it is who's reading the Ksuva, has a right to write it in and to say it, obviously. Um, and uh, therefore, that would be the right thing. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.